1: Engineering your success.
0: Welcome to New York Sports Rap. I am your host, Mike Silva, in for the On Assignment, Rich Catino. Lots to talk about, you guys. If you don't know me, I've been subbing in a couple of times here. I am the host of the Talking Mets podcast. I also uh, have done a bunch of stuff in radio. We're not just going to be talking about the Mets and their woes today. We're going to be talking about the Yankees, Gliber Torres, everybody's favorite New York rookie now. Knicks have a new coach, and uh, who knows, uh, if we have time, we'll uh, open up the lines. I think we're going to have some fun tonight because uh, Rich did have an opportunity also for you guys, long-time, old-time Mets fans, had a chance to talk with Ron Swoboda, you'll hear that. Later, so a lot to talk about. If you want to interact with me during the show or after the show, my Twitter handle is at Mike Silva Media. So, so where do I start? And because you basically have here a tale of two cities, really. You have the Yankees, fourteen of fifteen game-winning hits. They're never ever out of a ball game, coming back. Uh, best run since nineteen eighty. I've seen some references to uh, the Yankees best team since 1998. Everyone's feeling good, and, and you should, because anytime you go on a run like that when you're a baseball fan in a long season, you should enjoy it. And then you go across town, and you see the Mets, who it seems like 11-1 and was like six to ten years ago. seems like it was a decade ago. And they just completed an awful homestand, 0-6, shut out three times, a couple of, two or three really tough losses to the Braves, and the Rockies, and nothing is going right. And I'm hearing fans call up and talk about how they need to trade Syndergaard and DeGrom, and this team is awful, and they're underfunded, and the Ponds must go. All the things you didn't hear when they were 11-1, and 1, although some people will say that they felt that way even then. What I'm here to tell you is that you have to take a step back. You're not wrong to feel good if you're a Yankees fan, but... If you think there's not going to be what I call those thunderbolts or those potholes at any point throughout the season, and this is the nirvana that you're going to experience throughout the summer, you're wrong. You know The Red Sox are a tough team. The Astros aren't going anywhere. The Angels seem to have some things going on. Cleveland's right now struggling, but the Indians have Terry Francona, and they've had some pedigree of winning, so... If you think these young players are just going to waltz their first, you know, second time through the uh, the league, and there's not going to be those struggles, you're wrong. But you got to enjoy and you got to like what you're seeing. Now, on the flip side, if you're a Mets fan, you have to take a step back and also look and say, well, they're 17 and 15, which doesn't seem really good after a 11 and 1 start, but that's the same amount of losses that the Rockies, the team that just swept you, have. They're still ahead of the Nationals, not as much by a couple of games in the loss column. Same amount of losses as the Brewers and the uh, the Giants. Only a few games behind the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Cardinals. So all hope is not lost. What's amazing to me is that even as you read the the papers and you look, listen to talk radio, you expect the fans to be so high and so low, the winning and the misery and things like that. But to see how the baseball season, which truly is a marathon, and really all about the day-in and day-out grind and the process, to see how every week is a testimonial to how good or how bad these teams are is actually quite exhausting. Just a few weeks ago when I subbed in for Rich, it was right after the Yankees had lost three out of four to the Orioles at Yankee Stadium. Think about it. The same Orioles team, which is 8-26... and 26, Put a hurting on the Yankees that weekend. John Carl Stanton was striking out every at bat. They had a chance to win a game and, and 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 with the bases loaded and he he couldn't come through. And everything was panic. And I, I had Chris Corelli of SNY on and and we basically basically said, look, the Yankees have a good bullpen. Their starting rotation is a little suspect. They're gonna score enough runs, they're gonna be okay. And sure enough, they're more than okay. And the Mets were riding high, and that was the weekend that they had swept the Nationals and you felt good, but you never heard me say with that 11 and 1 start that the Mets had buried anybody. That's what I think the fans want. The fans wanted wanted to bury the Nationals. They wanted to have a, a summer of bliss. You know when that happened? That happened in 2006 and that's very very rare and it's almost unfair to ask for because you knew that that was going to be the case. I also look when I look at a team. The Dodgers of last year actually represent a lot of the extremes. 104-win Dodgers. A team that went on an historic run. What is it? 50 out of 60 games or something like that. They won in the heart of the season. Looked like they were going to possibly break the Yankees record. uh, Not the Yankees. The Mariners record for wins at one point. They then go into September and they lose 11 in a row in 15 and 19. They got to the World Series. The 2000 Yankees, a team that had won championships, was trying to win their third in a row, a team that was on its last leg that needed some infusion, and they got that in Mike Mussina and Jason Giambi the following year. But this was the last run before they had to bring in their reinforcements. They lost 15 of 18 in September, and I think they lost six or seven in a row to end the season going into the playoffs. Not exactly the way you want to start a playoff run. So my point is this, is that, the baseball seasons is made up of a lot of derivatives of samples that when you look at them individually, they look really good or really bad or somewhere in between. But at the end, it's the total pie that it's all about. I'm not here to say the Yankees aren't a team that's one of the tops in baseball. This is a team that, by their run differential, should have won 100 games last year. And I'm not saying the Mets don't have issues. Their offense, which I thought was going to be a Little Feast or Famine has proven to be very feast or very famine. There's starting rotation, which I was never about comic book characters or, you know, five aces. Because you know what? The only guys who have proven anything there are DeGrom and Syndergaard. The other, yeah, Harvey to a certain extent. We'll get to him later. But Matt's still had a lot to prove. Wheeler's never been an ace. So all those monikers, I was never all, I was never all about that. But I said, look, there's enough here. There's enough here to be good. The bullpen has been very good. The manager knows how to manage a bullpen. The manager seems to be instituting advancements in preparation and and assessing teams, uh, assessing players for injury. It's not always going to work. It's the process. You hope in the long run that the positives outweigh the negatives. And the process usually, a good process, usually guarantees, doesn't guarantee, usually leads to good results, but doesn't guarantee it. So let's take a step back, let's breathe, let's relax. The Mets are heading to Cincinnati, and that should help them out quite a bit. You hope P.J. Conlin going to be starting. And, you know, the Yankees could continue on their way, but Gleyber Torres has 40 at-bats. Let's not anoint him for the Hall of Fame yet, although he's been very, very impressive, and he's a, a prospect that many have said can't miss, and I'm I'm really excited to talk to uh, one of our guests later, uh, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com, Star-Ledger, uh, who has a chance to have covered him and, and give us a little bit more about him. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com, the Star-Ledger, will be joining me later, about 9 o'clock. Later on, we'll talk to Tommy D. of SNY. Patreon is, uh, well, that's his, uh, his personal website. He he's, puts a little blog up on the Patreon network. At Thomas CD, David Fisdale, should we be excited about David Fisdale? And then, of course, uh, the Ron Swoboda interview, we'll have that probably a little later on, maybe in the wrap-up the show at about 9.45, what have you. I know Rich has got some other clips we're going to try to get to, as many as we can. But the most important thing, before we get to kind of looking under the hood a month in, about the Mets and the Yankees thing, that's what we're going to do, we're going to look under the hood. What's going well, what's not? Almost like a car, you get a little tune-up every month. Let's not get too high or not too low. I know that's what being a fan is about, but honestly, geez, I have never seen extremism like this in a long time. It's it's exhausting. I am actually ex- – I can't even listen to talk radio anymore. I mean, when I heard – the two things, real quick, I know I have to – and I got my, my, my buddy producer Steven here with his Yankee hat on. Was oh, it Glibert Torres' jersey on? Oh, no, not yet. <laughs> He's got his Gladbert Torres jersey on. But to me, I'm listening to the radio, and they, they're already trading DeGrom and Syndergaard, and the other guy goes, oh, the, the Mets burnt out their bullpen the first 12 games of the season. That's why they're losing. No, that's not. There's nothing to do with why they've lost. They can't hit. They can't hit. They're hitting horribly. It's an offense that has had what I predicted, which would be brownouts. And when they happen six, seven games in a row, that's what you have. And look, it's exciting to see what's going on with the Yankees, but geez, let's just 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 calm down. Enjoy it. You have to enjoy it, but sometimes you also have to remember that good things don't last forever in baseball. It's these little derivatives, little microcosms of the season. That when you look at them together, it's one. It's a whole story. Individually, it gives you a lot of different stories. Let me tell you, if the Yankees hadn't won 14 out of 15, Gary Sanchez and Mike John uh, Carlos Stanton would be. On the hot seat, just like Jay Bruce and company over in Flushing are. All right, let's take a quick break. When we we'll return, Rich Catino, it's his show, but he's going to call in. He's on assignment. We'll give us a little take from uh, City Field. He covered the Mets earlier today. Like I said later on, uh, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com. will be talking Yankees. Tommy D. will be talking Knicks. That's a lot of stuff to get into. Ron Soboto will round out the show with that interview, so stay tuned for that. We probably don't have time for much else. But anyway, you're listening to the New York uh, Sports Rap. I'm your host, subbing in for Rich Catino, Mike Silva. We'll be back with Rich Catino right after this.
2: Take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com.
1: Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king?
3: Go fish, Dad! Oh,
4: come on! (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus
1: O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov.
0: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
5: Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signals. Get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com.
0: All right. New York sports wrap. Mike Silva here in for the on assignment rich catino sunday night may 6th Mayday. Mayday. may day joining us although he's not, he's on assignment and he should be here hosting his show but rich is one of the hardest working guys in sports there does a ton uh, he's been kind enough to call in and uh why why wouldn't we talk mets without bringing on rich catino especially on a day where there's so much angst out in the mets land rich You're with Mike. How are you?
2: Good, Mike. How you doing tonight?
0: Great. Listen, uh, am I happy that the Mets have lost six in a row and what are they six and thirteen? And they have one of the after having one of the best records in the league to start the season, they have one of the worst over the last fifteen to twenty games. But I got to tell you, Rich, and and maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I'm listening to the radio. I'm reading Twitter. I'm even reading the media. I have never seen the baseball season get dissected. Those little derivatives of the season that tell stories, but when you add them up, it's a whole pie. They now have become the testimonial of each team, whether it be the Yankees that never could lose now. After a couple of weeks ago I was here and everybody was panicking about John Carlos Stanton. And the Mets, who, I mean, we've heard people today, and I'm serious, Rich, they want to trade to Grom and Syndergaard and rebuild and tank, and that's it. It's over. You know, 17 and 15 apparently is horrible, so... Where are you at, Rich? Give us some sanity. Give us some levity. If that's the right
2: well, word. you know, in a baseball season, there are peaks and valleys, and this is a big valley. There's no doubt about it. Losing six, old holding home, getting swept in two series. I'm big, but we realize they.
0: I think I think we got Rich on a on a on a bad line. So see if we could get uh, producer Steven. Now in the old Mike and the Mad Dog day, that's a bad job bad job there, producer Steve. We got to get him back on now. That sounds like it was Rich's phone, but uh, Rich Catino uh, at Catino Nine on Twitter uh, does work for uh, ESPN. Obviously, this is his show. Uh, talking to us a little bit to uh, look under the hood and see what's wrong with the Mets. How can the Mets go from eleven and one and be on a roll? And I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it was the fans really thought at eleven and one uh, that the Mets were never going to lose, that they were really going to be unstoppable, unbeatable, and uh, and and they almost acted like they clinched the division or they were on cruise control. Rich Cotino back, sorry, Rich, we lost you there. You were you were gargled up by the uh, the cell phone and technology gods. So bring some balance to us here, Rich. Everybody's ready to jump off the proverbial ledge about the New York Mets.
2: Well, first of all the Mets did this in 2015. They started the season 10 games over 500 at 13 and three. Now they didn't give it up as quickly as they've given it this year, but there's still two games over 500. They're going on the road. They're going to be playing Cincinnati and Philadelphia and then coming home for a home stand. It's time to write the ship. I think those warning track shots the Mets were hitting are going to be home runs in Cincinnati. And, it's a peak in valleys of a season, Mike. It, it's, it really is a valley, a deep valley. But people are telling me, well, you realize, Rich, that the Mets got the Mets got swept by two series already this year? And my answer to that is, do you realize the Mets have swept three series this year? The Phillies, the Nationals, and the Marlins. So everything is relative. Uh, and I think the angst of the Mets fan has to do also with the fact of what the Yankees are doing. It's always somehow connected in their minds. No matter how much I try to disconnect it, it connects. And this team is going to be a playoff contender. Um, You know, I think when Swarzak comes back, the bullpen's going to even be better. Um, I think this is a blip in the screen. I think this is just a speed bump. And I think the Mets will be fine. But this time next month, We'll be talking about the Mets as an eight or nine over five, eight or nine game over five hundred team, getting ready to you know start their June uh, schedule.
0: Rich Katino, he's on assignment, so he's been kind enough to call in and join us and talk a little Mets here as uh, we are on the New York Sports Rep here on WLIE. Rich Mickey Callaway has really been almost tried to be baited by the media to panic. You know, they keep asking the last couple of days, "Are you concerned?" You know, how can this happen? And he keeps going back. And he's very his his tone never changes at these press conferences. He's very monotone. He's very matter of fact. I think that bothers, especially bothers the fans. What makes people think he doesn't care or he's in over his head? But he keeps talking about focusing on the process, the things that you and I don't see, the preparation of the players, uh, how they stay healthy, um, are they all accepting of their roles? You know. This has been the. This was the reason he was hired by Sandy Alderson, because they felt that that was lacking, and communication was a big part of that as well. I feel like he's doing a good job, but the things that I feel he's doing a good job in, I can't see. The only thing I can see are the results, and like he said today in his postgame, yes, it's a results-oriented business, but the results happen from the process, and until he sees the process go sideways, he's not going to panic, and it sounds like, at least in his opinion and maybe there are things that he's working on he's not going to tell us, the process is good.
2: Yes, it is. And and, and that's the thing. I mean, you have to trust. You don't go all off season and plan a game plan on how the season's going to go and scrap it, you know, 30 games into the season. Okay? you got to have to let it emulsify a little bit. You have to let it ferment. And I know people don't believe that because in Twitter, and, and the thing about Twitter is, I think some of these people on Twitter really like being in a bad mood.
0: A lot of Mets fans like being miserable. Mets fans want to be right. Yeah, Mets fans want to be right. Look, they don't like the ownership. They don't like the fact they didn't sign a big free agent. They felt that this team was no good. It proved them wrong through 12 games. Now it's like, see, I told you. It's a lot easier to be the negative fan because you'll never be disappointed than to kind of look at this and try to piece it together and almost play Uh, GM or coach here and say, okay, how how does this fit into the scheme of the season?
2: It's very true, and I think, you know, this is the way I look at the Mets' season so far. They're two games over five hundred, and really, they haven't had, with the exception of probably DeGrom, no one has really gone head and shoulders above what I think they should do. In fact, most have gone below what I think they should do. I, I should also include Cabrera in that list as well along with DeGrom. Um, And my thing is, in baseball, things cream usually rise to the top. I think if you stay with Conforto, I think he's going to be fine. you stay with DeGrom and Syndergaard, they're going to be fine. Familia in the bullpen is going to be fine. Because I think what's going to end up happening is Cabrera can't keep doing what he's doing, and he'll come down a little bit, and someone else will rise up. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize in sports. And, you know, the tweets I saw today were pretty much comparing the Yankees and Mets to well how the Yankees do with their prospects. Let's make it clear. Glaber Torres was not a prospect. He was a trade for a two-month rental for Araldus Chapman. Now, give the Yankees all the credit in the world. They then went out and got Aurelis the next offseason, but let's not make it like the Yankees drafted Torres. Let's not make it like the Yankees drafted Clint Frazier. Yes, they traded for these guys, so You're going to give the Mets no credit then for trading for Noah Syndergaard. You're going to give the Mets no credit for Michael Conforto, no credit for any of the people else came in through the organization, whether it be Jacob DeGrom, Jerry Sfamilia. Now, you want to give some of that credit to Omar Minaya, that's fine. okay. But my whole point of the matter is in this town with the media, and I see it all the time, the Yankees pretty much can do no wrong and the Mets can do no right. And when you look at that, it's kind of foolish because there's only one team that's gone to the World Series in this decade in New York, and it's not the Yankees. There's only one team that's gone to this World Series in this decade in the National League East, and it's not the Nationals. And my point of that is Sandy Alderson knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a team. He also built it here. He built it in Oakland. He built it in San Diego, and the Padres had no reason being a playoff team and built a team there as well. So the angst I have right now is the bouquets all going to Brian Cashman. Theoretically, he picked the wrong pitcher last year. He didn't pick Verlander. He picked Sonny Gray. Okay? And you want to say they're off to a great start and the Yankees are heading to a greatness. Then you got to also say the Boston Red Sox are off to a great start because they're ahead of the Yankees in the standings. So there's just this, and I really think it comes down to this, the media hates the Wilpons. And I don't know if we're ever going to get past that in analyzing the Mets because I don't think you build a team, Mike, and get to a World Series not knowing what you're doing. You could win a three-game series. You could win 10 in a row not knowing what you're doing in baseball. But over 162 games, you're not going to build a team that wins a pennant and not know what you're doing. And last year there were a lot of injuries. And now the other thing with the injuries, Mike, we have a minor hurt. The Messians go crazy because the media is training them to go crazy. Okay? Cespedes last Sunday had the thumb. We all said he was going to be out all season. He's back in the lineup tonight. The well, they're day. starting in about he that. They're starting in about that again that he's going to be out. My, you know, the,
0: the, the, every yeah, the
2: injury thing, is he'll, he'll be out a couple of days, probably. But let me tell you something. There was no ice on the hip today when I was in there, there was no st- tape on the hip. He was standing there talking to us like anything else. The DeGrom thing now, people say, well, the second opinion was bad. No, the Mets, people should be looking at this differently. For once, the Mets are not taking the, the wrong path. They're taking the more safe path with DeGrom. They did it wrong with Syndergaard last year. They didn't let him get an MRI and they let him take the field, and he, he was out for the season. They're doing the exact opposite this year, and they're still getting vilified for it. And my point on the whole thing is it has to do with will upon hatred. And you know me, Mike. I've known Fred forever I've known Fred since the mid 80s and there's not one owner in this town that's treated me better than Fred not one not the Dolans not the Steinbrenners not the Woody Johnson's not anybody okay and I think the reason people don't like him or his family is they connect him to the Madoff and let me make this perfectly crystal clear for everyone to understand the Will Ponds was as much a victim of Madoff as any of the other victims were the guy's best friend stabbed him in the back Okay, Now, I'm not big enough to figure out all the money. My checking account will, will affirm that I'm not big enough to figure out all that money, Mike. But I will say this. That is something that's in the minds of every person in the media that covers this team. And until it goes away, you're never going to get an objective view of the Mets. I'll tell you where you will get an objective view from the Mets, from Mike Silva and Rich Catino, because that, I vilify the Mets when I need to. I vilified them last year with the Noah Syndergaard thing. I vilified them with the way they, they fired Billy Randolph uh, in, in a hateful fashion. But you also have to be fair. They won a pennant two years ago. A pennant. They won a pennant. They went the best of five with the Dodgers, beat them in their home field, with the, five, the best of five when they had to face Grinke and Kershaw twice each. They swept the Cubs, swept them. In a series, the Cubs never had the lead. And I don't feel. All I hear about that year was, oh, they didn't win the World Series. Oh, Terry screwed up in Game 5 with Matt Harvey. Well, you know what? There's a pennant flag flying in there at, at City Field. It makes me believe that there were 25 players that win that championship, along with Terry Collins, along with the coaching staff, along with studios, and yes, New York Media, along with the Will Ponds. I know you don't want to give him credit for it, but you know what? This is one reporter that will give him credit for it.
0: Rich Catino joining me here, Mike Silva on the New York Sports Wrap, subbing in for Rich Catino who's on his assignment. Listen, I want to put a little bow as we wrap up this segment on Matt Harvey's career. I I hope that after this week, like I had said on my podcast earlier, that we could kind of put him in the rearview mirror. Here's the deal, Rich. Matt Harvey is not about the nightlife and the page six and showing up late. None of this decision was based on that. To me... All the other hot takes, put them aside. All the other hot takes, put them aside. It's about Matt Harvey um, n- from th- uh, with thoracic outlet syndrome not being able to perform. i got two minutes here for your uh, take on that. This is all about performance when it comes down it to is. it.
2: It is. And the, when Matt Harvey had all his skills, he was as good as any pitcher in the game. And we saw it in, in the All-Star game, and we saw it in the postseason for the most part, particularly in game five against the Royals. And this is the bottom line that people don't understand, Mike. If he was still performing, no one would care about the nightlife. Did we care about Lawrence Taylor's nightlife? No. No. Did, do we, did we care about Reggie Jackson's nightlife? No. Did we in the mid eighties care about Gooden and Strawberry's nightlife? I'll tell you when we started caring about it, when the Mets started not winning, that's when we cared about it. And that's the way it is. And to me, Matt Harvey, look, I hope he straightens out his act personally because, you know, when you spend a lot of time partying, that's never never an end game that's going to help you anywhere in life. But to me, it doesn't have anything to do with his on-the-field performance. This guy had Tommy John surgery, and he had thoracic outlet syndrome. And you know what? Those two things together are something that I don't know if any pitchers had those two things together they had to deal with. Incidentally, too, let's remember the other thing he had in spring training, where he was, you know, having the old old problem with urination and all that stuff, and the media made fun of him with that, and talk show hosts had jokes about it. Matt Harvey's a mixed bag as a met, but I think there was more good than bad. But it was time to move on. I understand what the organization did. I understand what he did, but Matt Harvey was an all-star met, and to me, that's where I will remember him—an all-star in New York.
0: All right, Rich, we got to run. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, Enjoy your assignment. We'll see you next week. All righty.
2: You got it, buddy. Take
0: care. All right, we got to go to break. You're listening to the New York Sports Wrap with Mike Silva. We'll be back right after this.
5: Expressed in the preceding program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at wlie 540 Radio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540am.com. Cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 540 AM from 7 to 8.30 Sunday nights. Visit their website, www.sportstalknylive.com, for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York, Sunday nights from 7 to 8.30 on WLIE 540 AM.
1: This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season.
3: Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's perfect. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
2: Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM.
5: You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, I Slip New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at wlie 540 a.m. radio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. center, Allen back, still back, still back, see ya, a locked off home run,
4: and a child leads up to a win, Yankees win, 7-4, they've done it again!
0: Can't get much better than that, Gliber Torres, the hype prospect that Yankee fans have been waiting for. Game-winning home run, and joining us as we switch gears, go across town is uh, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com Star Ledger at Brendan Cuddy NJ. Uh, Brendan, uh, Mike Silver here, pleasure to have you on. Can't get much more fun covering the Yankees than it's been probably the last two weeks, huh?
3: You never know when a game is over with this team. You don't know how they're going to win. Is it going to be Luis Severino throwing a complete game shutout? Is it going to be a ninth inning? Rally with uh, top prospect Gleyber Torres rocking a three-run home run like today. You know, is the bullpen going to shut a team down? This team is the best team I've seen in my five years covering the Yankees.
0: Brendan Cuddy, NJ.com. That's uh, pretty uh, strong words. Let's talk about Gleyber Torres. So this is a long-awaited prospect. This is the haul that they received for our oldest Chapman. The Cubs basically traded uh, this kid, to win a World Series. He can't really get on the Cubs case. I was reading some comments, I think, John Harper, the Daily News, that spoke to Tim Nairing, And, um, you know, the one thing that they talk about in terms of his development is that he he makes the adjustments. He sees the game in a way that you can't develop, you can't train players. They were actually comparing him with Ahmed Rosario, who's still struggling and learning at this level. And in the short 40 or so plate appearances that you've covered him, I'm assuming you've seen that. You've seen that next gear, that next level, that it factor, that you really can't teach any kind of player, especially at this
3: level. Right. It's hard to teach poise. You know, I start writing my game story, and I kind of start freaking out a little bit because what am I going to do? What am I going to write about? Glaber Torres gets in front of 40,000 fans, 21 years old, you know, 95 miles an hour coming at him, and he doesn't look even close to overwhelmed. We've seen Yankees rookies come up in the past, and, you know, they look overmatched or they look a little lost or like they're guessing or like they're forcing things too much. If you talk about it factors, it's that poise, it's that cool that comes with Glaver. You see it in the clubhouse, too. He's not. You know, nervously making small talk with the people around him. He's not jumping around. His eyes aren't darting from place to place. He looks like he belongs. He he looks like he has been there for a long time. And I just think about what I was doing when I was 21. Whatever I was doing, it was, it was with a hangover. And Claybro Torres uh, definitely seems like he's functioning on all cylinders.
0: One of the things I said about last year's team is that they had kind of that innocent climb. I borrow that old Pat Riley saying and they get to Game 7 of the ALCS, and they lose, and now the expectations mount this year. What's interesting is that by bringing in guys like Anduhar, bringing them up, Torres, Tyler Austin, having some of this young blood, it almost is like the Innocent Climb Part 2 because these guys aren't saddled with any of the expectations, really, because they were in the minor leagues last year. They don't remember Game 7. They don't have that taste in their mouth, which is a good thing, Maybe in some way. What are your thoughts on that?
3: On their inexperience? Uh, Well, they they don't have.
0: They're not saddled with all that. Like, there's no expectations really. You can play fast and loose to a certain degree, especially when you first came up. Certain guys could come up and they make that bang. They could just they play fast and loose a little bit. There's an advantage, I think. It's almost that uh, willful ignorance, so to speak.
3: Uh, Sure, I I don't think that. You know, this being their first season, it really takes any kind of heat off them. I think it's more that the Yankees have such a great team around them is what takes the heat off them. I was worried that the Yankees would call up Gleyber Torres at a time when they're kind of struggling a little bit, scuffling a little bit, dealing with injuries like they were when he, when he got called up. And fans and maybe even the media would look to him as the guy who had to get things done. Suddenly, when he came up through you know some of his performance, and then everyone else kind of started getting healthy and really started turning things around too, it took the heat off of him. So I don't think it's that they've never been here before, and they, they have the uh, bad taste in their mouth from losing game seven, and oh man, I, I hope that doesn't happen to us this year. I think it's more of that they're not expected to do as much as an Aaron judge as a John Carlos Stanton. They don't have that track record, and they're not being relied on in such a way. You see Glaber being the Yankees' you know, hottest hitter the last few days, hitting nine. Because, one, Boone doesn't want to put more pressure on him than he has to. And also because you know, there's no reason to put him up that high in the lineup when you have Judge swinging it that well, when you have DeeDee swinging it that well, when you're getting contributions from Neil Walker, who really wasn't hitting until, until recently. So I think that's what takes the heat. Off of an Anduhar, off a Torres.
0: Domingo Herman, how much better can a debut get? We talk about Torres today, but at one point there was a concern that you would have uh, had one of those. Everyone was complaining about the combined no hitter. I never saw fans on Twitter get so upset and debate the combined no hitter. Uh, but Herman had a nice, uh, more than nice six inning uh, stint. This rotation could use somebody like that at the back end. You know, we don't know how long Montgomery's going to be out. I think Sabathia certainly has pitched well, but who knows how long that's going to last. You break into peripherals that, you know, even a Sabathia hasn't been as good as his numbers. Uh, talk about Herman and, and, and what you saw that there today.
3: Now you saw a guy who, like Torres, was unflappable. Now, that happens when you have all three of your pitches working and working well. He was getting swings and misses on everything, nine of his strikeouts. Six innings, scoreless, no hits. Nine of those strikeouts came on. Um, eight of them came swinging. So the uh, Indians were, were seeing his stuff, swinging at it, thinking they're going to hit it, and nope. So that gives you confidence. That is a harbinger. You would think for the Yankees that he can handle this this spot in an elongated look when Jordan Montgomery comes back. Unless unless Herman's really tearing it up. I would think Montgomery will get his spot back because he's also been very good since the start of last year. But the Yankees were kind of in a rough spot. Chance Adams at AAA was not you know, looking like an option to be this fill-in guy. Luis Sessa is hurt, and he's had mixed major league success. So you suddenly go from three depth starters to one depth starter, and at least for today, the Yankees hit on that depth starter.
0: Brendan Cuddy, NJ.com, Star Ledger, joining us talking Yankees. Can't get much better talking Yankees now. Not not many concerns. Uh, Is Didi Gregorius this good? I mean, we knew he was improving. We saw big hits in the postseason. When you're looking at an OPS over 1,000, a 184 OPS plus, you're talking about a high level, a level that very few are at. I know that he's probably not this level of hitter, but you have to like where he'll land, and he's gotten better every year with the Yankees. It's amazing. Uh, how Brian Cashman picked this guy up. Nobody would have thought much about it. And uh, not only are they not talking about Derek Jeter, uh, you know, you have some of the fans even suggesting he's better than Derek Jeter, which is just silly talk radio debate. But that just tells you how good he's been, that they could even bring up that kind of topic.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's been great. I think that the, the memories of the great Derek Jeter have kind of faded a little bit. So that becomes a conversation piece. Also, People are stupid. <laughs> but, you know, Gleber Torres... Eh, Torres. Sorry, D.D. Gregorius has really progressed a lot. He's hitting left-handers. He didn't do that when he came to the Yankees. He was making some mistakes on the base paths. That's completely gone from his game. He was making some bonehead plays uh, in the field. You'd see him pick his head up and think about the throw before really scooping the ball. He's a five-tool guy. He is... I would put him top five shortstop in the league. I think it was a joke that he wasn't an all-star last year. And you know what? If you want to give that Derek Jeter argument a, um, a little bit uh, credence, you can say that D.D.'s arm is better than Derek. That's not, you know, uh, that's not heresy. You know he, Maybe his range is similar to when Derek was younger. We know that Derek's range dropped as he got older. Um, but he's not, he's not the hitter that Derek was. He's not the, the face of the franchise with all that weight and responsibility that Derek was. Still, Dede Gregorius for Shane Green going on three years ago now. This is looking like maybe one of the crown jewels of Brian Cashman's trade history.
0: You don't have many concerns when you're the Yankees right now and you're surging, you're a game behind the Red Sox, 14 out of 15, one of the best starts in well over 15 years. But there's a few things that you look at and you start to say, okay, what's going on here? The first is Gary Sanchez. His offensive numbers, when you look at them all in totality, the power's there, everything else is not. Defensively, you still see some things that make you cringe. Maybe that's who he is. Uh, talk about Gary Sanchez because quietly, if they were struggling a little bit, the Yankees, I think this would be getting more play um, because he hasn't de- he hasn't progressed, I guess, uh, especially on the defensive side as much as you would have liked to see from last year.
3: Yeah, I mean the hitting problems. Uh, I'll chalk that up to just slumping and then maybe overcompensating and doubling down on the slump. You can't ever worry about Gary Sanchez's bat, not after the year he had. Last year, not after the debut he had in 2016, that'll come around. And like you said, it's been okay so far. Defensively, you know, I wonder if we're at this point hypersensitive to when Gary makes a mistake and we let it slide when Romine does. Sure, today you see Gary drop a ball from Jonathan Holder, this this breaking ball that instead of getting in front of it, he kind of, Tried olaying it like a like a shortstop going to his left, you know. You you would like to see more effort on balls like that, but the other day Gary was getting killed when Chapman's 102 mile an hour fastball went over his head and hit the umpire in the head. Well, you know, Chapman just missed his spot terribly, and no no one's catching 102 miles an hour when they don't know where it's going. So I think that the main concern right now is Gary. At the plate, because while you're not really worried about him, you do you do want to see him get going. And defensively, I think we've become a little too sensitive to when he makes a small mistake here or there. He hasn't killed the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees have lost a game because of his defense so far this season. Though one one thing I like to bring up, though, get, uh, Sonny Gray going with Gary as his, with um, Romine as his personal catcher, I wonder. How much of the rotation loves throwing to Gary? You know, you see Severino throw a complete game shutout with Gary behind the plate, and then you got Sonny Gray, who just doesn't want to throw to him at all. So you wonder if you you know give these guys truth serum, who they rather have behind the plate, calling games, blocking balls. But on the whole, like you said, the, the, the offense is there, and the and the defense will likely improve throughout the season.
0: That's a very fair point, and personal catchers always start to become a a thorny situation. John Carl Stanton, you know, nobody's talking about him. He still hasn't really hit. Uh, Winning will do that. If there's anybody that needed this streak because of the nature of coming to New York, the superstar transition, uh, it was John Carl Stanton, and look at that. You know, nobody cares anymore that he struck out over 50 times and he's, you know, pretty much hitting in the 220s. Uh, winning just hides a lot of that, and I think that that's been big for him because clearly there's an adjustment period for John Carlos Stanton, which watching him play in the National League East, you know, he was a streaky guy at times with the Marlins, so this is not unprecedented.
3: It's not unprecedented. I don't know that the Yankees winning all these games is really giving John Carlos Stanton all that much cover in his own mind. I don't think that he looks back on the past week sees the Yankees winning, what, six or seven in a row now, and says, you know, I haven't hit well, but at least we won. I I think he goes home at night and is trying to figure out what the heck is going on. I I think he is is pressing big time. I think he's upset with himself. And I think that, yes, it's taken heat off him in terms of media pressure, in terms of fan pressure, though they're still booing him these days when he strikes out the first time in a game. I I think that... Sure, things have been better than they could be considering how much he's slumping. But, you know, like you said, he's he a streaky guy. And if you look at his last few years, I think maybe even his whole career, he's never really been that good of an April hitter, starts turning things on in May, really starts taking off May, June, July. And, and, and that was in Miami where it's still 80, 90 degrees in April. He's up here dealing with 40, 50, 60 degrees some nights where you know, I don't even want to be at the stadium. <laughs> so, so I think there's you know track record to suggest that Stan will pull out of this quick, and I think that there is um, you know, real evidence of, of just being here and, wa- and watching his at-bats and, and seeing how hard it is to swing a baseball bat in the cold for a guy who's lived in Miami and Southern California his whole life. To, to think that Dan
0: will turn it around. Brendan, I hate to put, like, big series in May, because I was just talking about in the open how the baseball season is all these derivatives, and when you look at these derivatives individually, they can look really good or really bad. It's the whole pie. The old team is never as good or as bad as they look. But you know it's Yankees-Red Sox. You know the Red Sox got out to that crazy start. Now pretty much everything's even. I'm sure the Yankees want to return the favor after not playing as well as they probably wanted to in Fenway Park. But uh, – Did they talk a little bit about this series? They have a day off. What was the tone in the locker room after this great win? And, you know, are they looking to maybe make a statement here early with the Red Sox? Because, let's face it, it's a rivalry, and and, and this Yankees team doesn't want to just make the playoffs. They probably want to win the division here.
3: Well, you know, you said earlier that you didn't want to make too much of a May series. Screw it. It's sports. Let's have some fun. Let's have some overreactions. Let's go nuts. Let's pour our heart into it. Uh, I say it is a big series. I think any time you face the Red Sox, it's a big series. You know, if you look up at the standings at the end of the year and the Yankees lose to the Red Sox by two games, the AL East crown, you're going to look back at May and say, damn, what if they didn't lose two or three games there? It's absolutely a huge series, especially with Mookie Betts right now, came out of Sunday's game, I believe, with some kind of shoulder injury. If he's not ready to go for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're looking at playing against the Red Sox who are without their superstar, a guy who could rat, rival Andrew uh, Aaron Judge in terms of talent. You've got to seize the day here. You've got to make it happen. Uh, I think it's big in the, in the clubhouse today. The Yankees downplayed it a little bit, but they downplayed it in a way that they'll downplay any series. You know, as pro athletes, they want to keep things as normal as possible, not get too high, not get too low. But for, you know, fans and and listeners and all the people who make a living off of it, let's go bananas.
0: Last thing, uh, uh, Aaron Boone. Uh, We're a month in. Uh, I know that uh, early on there was some criticism of him. Um, But so far, look, you know, it's hard to uh, screw up 14 out of 50 when everything's going your way. Give me your early. I guess grading of Aaron Boone here. What five, six weeks into the season?
3: B plus, A minus. Why not? I don't think that he screwed up much early this season. I think that you can make arguments for why he did things and why he didn't do things. Today, Boone was getting killed for leaving Dylan Batantis in for a second inning, but you know those people who are upset about that must have not watched Jonathan Holder directly after him because he wasn't very good. I think Boone's been great. He, he's handled the questions from us well, but the questions from us really aren't that difficult when you're you know, on the insane streak that the Yankees are on. He, he's dealt with a whole bunch of injuries. He, he's dealing with a degraded bullpen with Adam Warren and Tommy Canely both on the DL. I think that Boone has done actually an exceptional job so far, especially considering his rookie status. Considering all the pressure that's on him, all the eyes that are on him, and just w- what this team was expected to do.
0: Brendan, what do you got coming up at nj.com? Obviously, Yankees, Red Sox. Anything else you want the listeners to know about? Obviously, they can follow you on Twitter at Brendan Cuddy, NJ. What else is uh, going on? What do you be looking at this week? Well,
3: I mean, you know, we, we got a ton of football stuff on there every day. Tomorrow morning, I'll be posting one of our, our mailbags. You know, but uh, also recently I spoke with Yankees. Player, uh, director of Player Development, Kevin Reese, about Gleyber Torres and, you know, why the Yankees felt like at that moment, you know, when they when they called him up two weeks ago that he was ready to go, you know, in light of today's heroics. And we'll have that up on the website tomorrow morning. Uh, Kevin Reese, the guy who's in charge of creating this next Yankees dynasty and this next Yankees run, why he thought Gleyber Torres is ready to go.
0: Brendan, appreciate you jumping on Sunday night. Let's do it again. Uh, great work over at NJ.com, and uh, keep it up, my friend. Thanks again.
3: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Brendan Cuddy, NJ.com, at NJ on Twitter. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when I return, we'll do some reaction, talk a little Yankees. I probably want to get a little bit more into Matt Harvey. Uh, later on, the Ron Swoboda interview with uh, Rich Catino, and we also will talk Knicks with Tommy D of SNY. And uh, a lot more to come here as you're listening to the New York Sports Rep and with uh, Mike Silva in for an on-assignment, Rich Catino. We'll be right back.
4: The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmeen, who was...
5: Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach.
4: We rely so much on a resume... Yet it could never tell the full story of someone who
5: had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get.
4: Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council.
6: Hi, I'm Pastor Bill Shishko, inviting you to tune in to a visit to the pastor's study every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. here on WLIE Radio. We bring biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you, and we invite you to visit the pastor's study by calling in with your questions. Our time will be lively, useful, sometimes controversial, but never dull. Join us this Saturday at 12 noon for a visit to the pastor's study because everyone needs a pastor.
0: Mike Silva back here for Rich Catino on the New York Sports Wrap. Rich is on assignment. We just talked to Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com about the Yankees, the surging Yankees who are a game out of first place behind the Boston Red Sox. Big series coming up at Yankee Stadium this week. So pretty much Brendan Cuddy debunked everything I said earlier in the open. I was like, hey, you can never get too high. You can never get too low. The derivatives within each. And he's like, screw it. Let's get fun here. Let's have fun. Let's let's throw it out there. It is a big series uh, here at Yankee Stadium in May. And uh, let's get excited. And look, there's not much you could complain about with the Yankees. You have to look at this. No matter how good a team is playing, you have to look at this and be fair and honest. Look. Everybody thought, with the way the Yankees had played last year, the experience they got in the postseason, with especially the bullpen. See, to me, that was the part of this team that I said to myself, they, when you shorten games to five, six innings in today's uh, modern game, it's so hard to beat teams, especially the Yankees. Even if their pitchers give you six innings, three runs, which to me is just is nothing special but just bare minimum if you're a competent Major League starter, that's – three runs for this offense uh, is plenty cuz they're going to bully and beat up on bad teams. They're going to bully and beat up on bad bullpens. Uh, not many teams could go deep in bullpens more than one, two or three and that's that's the funny part. The game has become about bullpens, but bullpens are so hard to build. That's why I'm a li- much more bullish on the Mets than everybody else cuz I think their bullpens pretty good and pretty deep and if they could get they're the opposite. If they get their starters to that adequate level the non-Syndergaard, the non-DeGrom starters, then, you know, they might be okay. The problem with the Mets is they don't have the firepower. They don't have the offense the Yankees have. As far as the Yankees, the things that would concern me, look, the starting rotation right now, Sabathia is pitching to a 1.39 ERA. That's not what the peripherals suggest. The peripherals have him still pretty solid, but at a pitcher with about a a 3.5 ERA. Uh, You know, Severino, of course, is the ace, and, and he's the anchor of that rotation. He's giving them... Uh, essentially what you would expect from, you know, a DeGrom or a Syndergaard or what you would see across town. Tanaka, see, Tanaka's the guy I've always felt. He could come up big, he could pitch big, but he also has those stinkers. I've never been a huge Tanaka guy. He's been pretty much league average. Sonny Gray has pitched better, but, you know, he's another guy I think that could be up and down. Uh, And then, you know, you had Domingo Herman today, but when Jordan Montgomery comes back, a solid pitcher, but what's, what's the story with his health? He's on the DL. Uh, anytime you uh, have a flexor strain or some kind of strain in your elbow, you don't know how long that's going to take. So, look, the Yankees are going to go out. They have a deep enough farm system. They've done a good job. They even do a good job. The Yankees do well, even when their prospects are good, but maybe not the next level. I always think they market it well to other teams. Like, oh, it's the Yankees' system. They know how to develop. Let me, let me take that guy. Even though he's not in the top tier, their second tier is better than anyone else's top tier, which... Drives you nuts sometimes. But look, that's that's kudos to him. The Yankees have done a fantastic job of rebuilding, staying relevant during the rebuild without completely tanking, investing money into the international market, investing money into player development, and now putting themselves in a position as their bed contracts. Sabathie will be off. A-Rod is off. Tashara's been off for a couple of years. Now they could go out and they could start to funnel the free agents and the imports. They already did that with John Carlos Stanton around the young players. And uh, you look up and down, look, and the one thing I disagree with Brendan is I think bringing in that infusion of young, I use the word willful ignorance, but guys like Miguel Andujar and Gleyber Torres, they're happy to be here, to be have a chance to showcase their, their wares to the public, uh, to the fan base. They're not part of that expectations coming in. And I felt at the beginning, you know, every, it goes back to what I said about the Mets, every game, every at-bat was being magnified. Uh, early on and it's just a matter of hey you know let this team play it out and over the course of 162 games it's a 95 win team now it's going to be them and the Red Sox for the division it'll be interesting to see how this weekend goes uh not weekend weekends weekday series uh uh, goes at Yankee Stadium and uh you know the one thing you have to be concerned about if you're a fan of the Yankees is they're going to cool down a little bit and the last thing you want them to do is to do it against the Red Sox but Mookie Betts as Brendan said, it's a question mark, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, we were talking about Matt Harvey, Rich and I, and we we got cut off because we were up against the break at the top of the hour. But I wanted to put a little bow, like I said, on Matt Harvey, and, and Rich talked about it. And I'll pretty much say, and if you listened to my podcast earlier, you, you heard this. To me, Matt Harvey, there was never this emotional attachment that you see with some Mets fans. Matt Harvey had a, a an incredible start to his career. 2013 will always be special about how he jumped on the scene and made a team that was in rebuilding purgatory relevant a year that they had the all- star game at City field um, He started to push the Mets towards not being this you know blah team to yeah let's be relevant let's be winners let's let's take things by the horns and then he got hurt. And he came back, and I think the thing that will always get overlooked, yes, Matt Harvey's a narcissist, yes, he's selfish, uh, yes, he's immature, and I don't know if he's smart enough to ever adapt to what his body is now. But what I will say is this, in 2015, when his agent wanted him to shut it down, and with all the science out there and all the data and the fact that he was three years away from free agency and a lot of money, and he put his money and his career at risk to pitch the Mets to a championship. Now, whether that's because he wanted the, the ego f- fulfillment to be the man, we'll never know, but he did it. And the Mets needed him that year, and he clinched. He pitched the, the, the division-clinching game. Uh, he pitched a big game in Game uh, uh, 1 against the Cubs. Uh, he wasn't great against the Dodgers, but he was good enough to get them a win in Game 3. Uh, He was not great in the World Series in that first game, but we all know what happened in Game 5, and you know what? That was mismanaged by Terry Collins, and I can't blame Matt Harvey. Yes, when you look at it, Matt Harvey should have went back out for the ninth inning. There was nothing wrong with that, but there should have been a plan if things went haywire, And as as it always was with the bullpen in the Terry Collins era. There was never a plan. Everything was fly by the seat of your pants. But the point is, you can't take 2015 away from us. You can't take 2015 away from the fan base. It's there. All this other stuff has nothing to do with why he's been designated for assignment. He can't pitch anymore. Thoracic outlet syndrome is one of those injuries that if you go and look at the list of pitchers, they never are the same again. And if they even pitch, they're this middling, number 5, 4A, 5-6 inning peripheral guy. And Matt Harvey never could accept being that here. I don't know if he could ever accept being that in general. And the fact that he did so much in his first couple years in the league, it's almost so hard to accept him being that. But that's who he is. And if he's ever going to get back to being a competent big league pitcher in a rotation, it's going to take him, as Mickey Callaway said, going down to single A, going down to double A, going into a nominee and really rebuilding himself. I don't know if he could do that. He certainly wasn't going to do it here and if he does do it, it's going to take weeks and months, and the next time you see Matt Harvey on a big league mound should be after a lengthy minor league stint with a team out of the race that probably says, let's be the solution, let's rebuild him, and then maybe he'll turn around and say, all right, I'm going to sign with you for a year or two, and you could get him as a reclamation pretty cheap, and then who knows what happens from there. Maybe then you, you get lightning in a bottle, you trade him. There's a lot of things. A team like the Cincinnati Reds, let's say. Who knows? Something like that. It's not going to the Yankees or the Dodgers or being with another team that expects to win and trying to get back in there because you can't compete at that level. He's not a guy that you could expect. I just said six innings, three runs is a competent big league performance for starting pitcher. He can't do that for you, at least not consistently. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, we're going to shift gears, talk Knicks with Tommy D uh, of SNY. Stay tuned. There also will be Rich Catina's interview with Ron Swoboda later on. We'll do that to wrap up, and uh, we have a lot more. So. Sit tight. You're listening to the New York Sports rap. Mike Silva in for the Honest Simon Rich Catino. We'll be back talking Knicks basketball with Tommy D of SNY
3: right after this.
5: Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting.
3: You've accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A. Line things up a centimeter from her hairline?
5: Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. no, 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 no. no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball
1: player. B.
5: Get
7: spiritual.
1: Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within. Oh.
3: C, look on the bright side. (laughs)
1: Less time blow-drying, more time texting.
3: Or D, show
6: empathy.
5: Mom, you really don't have to... Ta-da! (laughs) Twinsies! I kind of love it. (laughs) As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same.
3: For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.
5: Check WLIE540AM.com every day and find out what's happening in your community. From one of the largest and most diverse radio stations in the tri-state area, stay connected at wlie 5:40am.com.
3: When you were a little kid and you thought about what you wanted to be, teaching was at the top of your list. But things changed, and as you got older, teaching didn't seem like the best option anymore. So you're thinking you'll be something else. But what would your 12-year-old self say? Now you want to be a doctor. You don't think teachers save lives, 25 at a time? an actress try playing a different role every time the bell rings how about a scientist ever heard of physics chemistry who do you think teaches that teachers today are breaking down obstacles finding innovative ways to instill old lessons and taking learning far beyond the four walls of the classroom it's time to recognize that great things are happening in teaching and put it back on your list don't try to convince yourself otherwise you had it right the first time
1: Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council.
0: All right, we're back. New York Sports wrap. Mike Silva here in for Rich Catino. We have our buddy. I say behind the glass, because usually producers behind the glass. Producer Steven. There's no glass here. Tell them to get glass. Here at WLIE. No glass here, sorry. Get some glass going, all right? So, anyway, we're going to shift gears. We've talked nothing but baseball. We had Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com. Our buddy Rich Catino talking Mets. Brendan was talking Yankees. We talked Matt Harvey. Now let's switch gears. Let's talk hoops because in a sea of all this baseball, we had the NFL draft last week. Um, There is going to be some NBA news being made here in New York because the Knicks have hired a new coach. And... Here to talk about it is our buddy from Sny, Tommy D, at Thomas C D on Twitter. He also has a pretty cool blog over at Patreon and podcast. Tommy, good evening here on a Sunday. Long time no talk, Tommy. How you doing?
7: Long time uh, indeed, Mike. I'm doing well. Uh, great to hear your voice. How are you doing?
0: Not bad. And I'll tell you what. Um, you know, we've been so focused. At least I have been on baseball, but I've been keeping an eye on this Knicks coaching search. And here's was my take. You know, just looking at it. In the past, you always felt like you knew who the guy you wanted to go after, whether it be Larry Brown back in the day. And when Jeff Van Gundy, before he was hired, it was Don Nelson. It was always about the Knicks going after a big name. And initially it was like, all right, the Knicks really need to go after Doc Rivers. There was the New York connection, you know. How can they pry Doc Rivers away from the Clippers? But what the Knicks did is they interviewed 11 candidates. They did a thorough search. And they picked somebody who, you know, at the very least all I can say is this— seems to, from a process standpoint, and I'm using the same words, I guess, the same organizational speak that you hear, checks all the boxes. He comes from a pedigree that includes Pat Riley and the Heat, which is always good in my book. But we'll see. I mean, at this point, after all these years and all these coaches and all these promises, I guess all you could do is sit back and say, don't tell me, show me. And uh, David Fisdale will be named the coach next week.
7: It is a fascinating time uh, in in this franchise history, which is really saying something based off of what we've seen here, uh, not only the last couple of years, but certainly the last, uh, you know, quarter of a century. Uh, I'm with you. He does check a lot of boxes. Uh, I am shocked that uh, Steve Mills allowed for David Blatt to finish up in the top three. Uh, Last last go around, as you know, we talked about this a lot. Um, Blatt thought he had the job. Uh, before Phil went out to California and and was blown away by Jeff Hornacek uh, in that famous, now infamous, uh, interview out there. Uh, Blatt finishing runner-up and uh, was among the the top three. So, um, you know, the hiring of Fisdale, everybody will tell you around the league he's a player's coach, with the exception of Marcus Gasol. I don't think he'll tell you that. Um, But certainly a, a, a great pedigree when you look at the resume, which you mentioned, uh, you have to be uh, happy with someone who who understands and has learned under uh, Eric Spolstra, uh, who is the disciple of uh, Pat Riley, as we all know. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of discipline. There's going to be a lot of old-school stuff, which, you know, we heard a lot about today's player, and, and the coach is going to have to be able to manage and deal with uh, today's player. And i got to tell you, they don't love that approach. And what it sounded like with Mark Gasol was, he didn't love the idea that you know David Fisdale was really quick to sort of you know show off the rings that he won as an assistant coach with Miami, uh, and, and I think that was a big point of the contentiousness there. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. He's not an analytics guy, which is also something that people want to talk about with today's NBA and, and not just the players. Um, but he did in his first year in Memphis take them from, I think, the 28th uh, team overall in three-pointers attempts to about midway. Uh, you know, middle of the pack in the NBA. I think they were 14th or 15th. So he can create some space offensively. Uh, the Knicks are still a very young and, and talented and or young developing team, hopefully trying to take that talent uh, into, um, you know, and, and make the younger players much better, starting with Frank Nilekina, uh, the draft pick this year. But look, we both know next year, it's almost one of those uh, situations where unless a major trade Happens for a, a you know a superstar, and, and maybe you know they start to listen for you know stuff with Porzingis, and maybe packaging a pick. You know, you hear the Kawhi Leonard stuff that, that they always seem to be in, in those sort of uh, in sort of those discussions. But um, you know, next year to me would seem as if it's going to be a lot of Trey Burke, a lot of Emmanuel Mudiay, a lot of Nielakina. Um, we'll see what happens with Cancer. I don't know when Porzingis. I don't think anybody knows when Porzingis is going to come back. Um so you know, you're looking at another year in the in the NBA lottery and, and maybe a tank season.
0: Ian Begley of ESPN I think tweeted this out and said it best is that it's pretty simple. It's simple but complicated. You gotta get the players to buy in, you gotta develop them, and then management has to add the talent. I think the Knicks will be able to add talent. They're still the Knicks. I know that they may not because of the brand damage they've done over the years be the destination they once were, but it's still the garden. And when the Knicks have money, they'll attract somebody. But can Fisdale get the players to buy in? You just talked about that. That's going to be the tough one. That's going to be on him. And then can he develop them? He's got some young players that, Nilly Keen and mainly Trey Burke, that he'll be tasked to develop. Um, I think the third one, getting talent, is actually the easiest one of the three. That's the one that's, a, uh, that's never eluded to the Knicks. It's the first two over the last 15 years. Getting the buy-in from the players and developing them. Let's put it that way.
7: Well, it starts in, in, in the – I wouldn't call it a cliche because I, I do believe it to be the case. It starts with culture. Uh, Madison Square Garden and, and the locker room there and the distractions and all that stuff, That that's a real thing. Uh, you know, you're going back to whether it was Stefan Marbury or, you know, the post-Ewing era. And, uh, you know, I, as you've, we've gone here through almost two de- two decades now, um, you know, there's always a distraction. Is it, is it CAA? Is it – you know, Amari Stoudemire's agent versus Carmelo Anthony's agent. You know, there's – then last year, obviously, uh, on a smaller level, but you have Hornacek and, and Joakim Noah. You know, they're just – you have to be able to build the foundation of a culture. And the two teams in this city who do it better than anybody, probably in the history of sports, uh, the Yankees being number one and the, and the New York Giants being number two, the Knicks just haven't been able to do that since Pat Riley has left. Uh, I'm not saying that Fisdale is the answer to Pat Riley. I, I, in fact, I don't know if that's the case at all. I think that would be a very unfair statement. But at some point, and if it's, if it's not Porzingis, then they've got to figure out how do they maximize the value for him, maybe move him along. Uh, I'm just speculating here. But you know, that to me is if, if he's not the guy that you want to build your culture around, You've got to find the guy who that is. That's why I mentioned Kawhi Leonard before. I'm not sure he's that guy either based on everything that's going on in San Antonio. At the end of the day, you have to find not only the franchise player, but you also have to find the other pieces who will also, you know, sort of surround uh, that player, be able to plug certain players in over the course of time. Um, The Patriots do it. I mean, guys come and go, but you always just seem to have the same culture, the same pieces uh, I know football is different than than basketball, certainly. But point is, you, you have to have someone that you can build around, someone who's going to tell, the, say the story, tell the message day after day uh, in a similar way that Patrick Ewing did when he was drafted in 1985.
0: Tommy, just shifting gears here as we wrap up to the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, we're not going to compare Jordan and LeBron. That's that's tired debate. But you have to be impressed with how the Cavaliers have turned it on again here in the playoffs. Looks like the Warriors are gonna, you know, wrap up their series shortly. Um, are we headed towards another Cleveland Golden State showdown again here in the uh, NBA Finals?
7: I think I think so. I, I think last year, I mean, it was just they, it was a collision course, and and every everybody, even the writers and the bloggers, everybody was just sort of twiddling their thumbs until uh, you know until June. But um, this year with, you know, sort of the Kyrie stuff with LeBron and and the drama, um, you know, which to his credit, which he starts, but, you know, he does utilize that for, you know, to to his advantage uh, and is playing, you know, some of the best basketball, maybe the best basketball in his career, uh, talking about LeBron. I I do think that he's on a mission. Um, I don't think that they have uh, enough to, to beat the Warriors again, um, but I'll tell you, it, 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 when you look at the Celtics being up three nothing, and you look at Brad Stevens last night at least out coaching Brett Brown by I don't know ten to twelve points, and four points down the stretch in the last ten seconds and or uh, fifteen seconds or so out of at a timeout, uh, uh, you know play calling. Uh, if there's one person who could figure out how to not yeah I'm going to stop LeBron, but um, you know to to, to maybe uh, win a couple of games, maybe force a game seven, uh, it's the Celtics. But I, I still think that, um, you know, without Kyrie, without Hayward, uh, you know, they're, they're, they don't have the talent to, to overcome what uh, LeBron is doing right now. And I think Golden State does. Uh, watching Durant today, I saw Durant take a shot today, he hit a 3 point over Anthony Davis, who was like literally off the ground, probably eight and a half feet in the air with his arms straight up in the air, and Durant buried a shot over him. They just have too much talent, and I think that's what we're going to see That's sort of a repeat of last year.
0: Tommy, got to run up against it. As always, a pleasure. It's late on a Sunday. Be well. We'll catch up. And appreciate the time, my friend, as always.
7: Really appreciate it, Mike. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Tommy D. Tommy D of S N Y. Hey, special treat. We're going to wrap up here. Final segment. We're not even going to go to a break. So Rich Catino had a chance to catch up with Ron Swoboda, 1969 World Champion, remember the Miracle Mets, and uh, you know Rich is coming out with a Miracle Mets 1969 book. So to wrap up the show, I first want to thank Brandon, uh, Brendan Cuddy. I want to thank Rich. I want to thank Tommy D. And to wrap up, you'll hear Rich Catino with Ron Swoboda right now.
4: Ron, you know. Ron, you know, when you talk about that 69 season, was there a period of time during the season where you said, this is really clicking in here? Is there a period of time? Was it the Cubs series in the middle of the
6: season? Well, we always played good against the Cubs. It certainly wasn't when we played against the Astros, who beat us 10 out of 12 that year. But I think early on when we were flopping around 500 into June, and we started a series in... In Shea, and then went on the West Coast, and we played those West Coast teams pretty good, um, all three of them, and and um, we rolled through about 11 straight wins. And I think the team went, uh-oh, maybe uh, maybe maybe we got something here with all those young arms. And uh, that's when they made the deal for Clendenon. That's when they that's when they traded. Steve Rinko and three other guys, Kevin Collins and those guys, and Clendenin came in here. That's when I think they started taking, the, you know, our, our management took us seriously. And from that point on, we, we we were a little different club. And we had gone, you know, by the time we had gone through the league twice, we felt like, wow, we, we're competitive. We can play with everybody but the Astros. We didn't have... To beat the Astros like the Cubs. Cubs were in our division, and we played some really solid series against them. Really tough series against them. And I think, you know, it really wasn't until the end of August, first of September, when we when we ran them down. They they augured a little bit, and and we were on cruise control uh, and and turbo. And blew by them in, in early September, and that's when that's when we roll by him and never look back. Gil Hodges, what was it like being
4: around him and and everything he represented?
6: You know, Gil could simplify things that a lot of managers could make complex. I think if you manage to a simple idea, then. You know, it's like a good jazz player. You know, you resolve something that's pretty complex in a simple way, and it comes through your, it hits your ears in a way you understand it. You don't need to know the all the workings, uh, why it works. You just know it sounds good. Well, he did things on a baseball diamond that that played well, that we understood. And he would do some interesting, creative things, you know, put four outfielders out there or... Or bring in me to play first base and dare a pitcher to bunt uh, in a situation. Uh, he, he had, you know, he he never was behind the game. Hodges really understood what he wanted to do all the time, and you were aware of the fact that, you know, you didn't have to you didn't have to worry about your manager getting uh, getting behind the play at all ever. I want to
4: talk about a couple of performances you had. One in September in a game which Steve Carlton struck out 19 batters, and you went yard on him twice.
6: What was that like, Ron? I mean, you, you hit him well. You know, I didn't really. Who hit him well? I don't know who hit him well. I didn't hit him well. I think I got that and about two singles off him, and and uh, that was the extent of it. But, but um, you know, it was a funny thing. We were playing in St. Louis, the old ballpark, old, you know, the second um, iteration of 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 uh, Bush Stadium, the, you know, and they had a they had a machine in in left field, and I asked Ralph Kiner if he'd feed me some balls through this wheel machine down there. I said I'm just not feeling right, you know, and we didn't have anything like hitting coaches and stuff like back then. They were around, but we didn't really feature. in Yogi, you know, and Yogi knew how to hit, right? But I'm not sure he could tell you how to hit um you know he yogi might say something like if if you can't hit it don't swing at it and you'd go what about two strikes yogi well then you might have to swing at it you know it's like well all right thank you for clearing that up and that's a joke but yogi knew how to hit you know he was a, a good bad ball hitter and a better good ball hitter and So, but, you know, we didn't have coaches as such, but Ralph went out there with me, got permission and and fed me some balls and just looked at me and said, how's that feel? You hit that one good. Yeah, try your hands here. All right, good. All right, ready? And, you know, just looked at you and and gave you some feedback. And I I got in a good space. And, you know, here you go up against a guy who's got great stuff and, you know, I banged him twice in a game where he was as good as he was ever in his career. And I hit he struck out nineteen. That was a record in the major leagues and I and he had me two strikes when I hit the home run. And struck me out twice. So it could have been nothing. And it turns out to be one of the best games I ever had.
4: Another thing in that September, you guys had a doubleheader against the Pirates where you won two one nothing games where the pitcher drove in each run. I mean, do, do you start to think that you're blessed when you see something like that?
6: I don't know about blessed, but you're, but something's working for you. Um, you know, I think we had great pitching and we felt like our pitching could keep us in ball games. And you know, you get you get a game, you get two games like that, and, and uh, in a doubleheader, and Don Cardwell goes five innings and drives in the, the go-ahead run. And then uh, Kuzman went nine with a shutout and drove in the only run. And you, and you win that game, and you go, you know, this is getting scary because it all seems possible.
4: And now getting to the actual World Series with the Orioles, uh, something Buddy had said to me years ago where Buford leads off with a home run, and as Buford's
6: running around that second. I should have caught in right field. That's right. You came close I, to it. No, I should have caught it. I didn't play it well. I was so damn nervous. I thought I'd, I almost broke myself.
4: But Buddy said as Buford's running past, so Buford looked at him and said, ah, home run. No,
6: Buddy said, well, first. No, fir- no. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yes. And Buddy said, I didn't know what to say to him. Like He said, I'd love to have thought of saying, well, you ain't seen nothing yet either. <laughs> but he said, I couldn't get it out. That's great stuff. <laughs> And then when
4: you guys get back here, you know, I've talked to Earl Weaver. You know, Well, we split with them in Baltimore,
6: and I think here's the thing you better keep in mind. The Orioles played in the American League, and we played in the National League, and I think the National League depth-wise in terms of talent was a notch or two above the American League. That doesn't mean their best team can't beat our best team, but I think we came through a tougher test to win the National League. And so there was a golden opportunity for the Orioles not to take us lightly, but to look at them and go, oh, am I glad it's them right. without knowing us and without knowing what we've been through. And then no conversation
4: would be complete without talking about the catch in game four. It's a tight game. Seavers on the mound. Brooks Robinson at the play. Take us through. What was going through your mind as that line driver's coming towards you?
6: Well, I had taken thousands of balls in the outfield because I had made such a mess of it so many times. If anybody's ever, uh, you know, you forget what Shea Stadium looked like, but if you look up at the top of these lights here at Citi Field, and this is a beautiful place with architecture galore. The architecture at Shea Stadium, it was like a big globe theater on triple deck. It was a high stadium where a lot of balls never get out of the seats. And where, you know, if the lighting is odd and you're not sure yourself, I made a mess of it. So I worked with, Eddie Yost got me on the end of the fungo bat, and he hit me from about 150 feet, line drives and ground balls left, right, over my head in front of me. I wanted to work on reading the ball off the bat. You read the ball right off the bat, things are going to get... Better for you right away, and that's that's what I worked on. Worked on my footwork in the outfield. You're catching the ball also every time, and I played it all, practiced it all at speed. It wasn't tra-la-la. It was at game speed. Otherwise, what are you doing? And I got better. I got I got much. I wanted Hodges not to put Rod Gasper in as a defensive replacement. I, I it drove me crazy that he did it. I understood why. I wanted him to look and go, I don't think I need to do that move. And he did, finally. And he didn't do that move, and lucky for him he didn't because
4: then he had Gaspar to pinch run to score the winning run. Now, when you talk about after that World Series is over. You're good with your
6: history now. Okay.
4: When you talk about the World Series and it's over now and you have the parade and stuff, what is that like for those of us that have never experienced anything like that as a professional? What is that like?
6: You felt like the biggest deal in the Big Apple, and for a while there, you felt like the other thing was you felt gratified that you had given the city something, and you had given these fans who had followed you from those hundred lost seasons, you'd given them a present, and to, to to ride down the street in a convertible and everybody's got a grin on their face, and you felt like well I had something to do with putting it there, and and that was a that was a great time because don't forget we had a lot of social unrest and the war in Vietnam, and um, you know, um, all kinds of identity politics going on then, gay rights going on, uh, women's rights, uh, civil rights, um, and anti-war stuff that was pretty angry. And in the midst of all of that, there was this guy that went up on the moon, Neil Armstrong, and uh, maybe something even less predictable, the Mets win a World Series. Holy mackerel.
4: And one final question for you. You know, when you look at, when I looked at that team as a young kid, and I, I first started following the Mets in like 67. When Seaver came to me, that was one thing that kind of changed things. And when Hodges came, that was the second thing that changed it. You being around for before,
6: during, and after, is that, is that pretty, pretty right? Look, I think in that year, um, when they picked up Clendon and...
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
4: Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com.